Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Hello and welcome to Throne from the Ride. This episode features Arya's low flat top hat and mysterious email about a fence. Andrew and Spencer doing some landscaping together, the reveal that Peter's blood pressure meds probably killed Jessica, Allison's upsetting medical exam, and deputization of Hannah to make the liars memorize a tape-recorded series of answers. Uh, We also have kind of a nice through line of the liars testing whether or not A is really gone, and we have a great moment uh, between Mona and Paige that delivers like Definitely the best line of the episode, and, and I think one of my favorite lines through the series. Uh, but other than that, the episode, it kind of has a lot of fractured threads that don't really, um, they don't really all come together and gel super well. Yeah, it's very much a transition episode. Like, we are transitioning out of the aftermath of the end of season four. You know, last episode, we were really kind of uh, dealing with a lot of the ripple effect of, of everything. And now it's like... We're transitioning into the rest of the season. We're gearing up for the big 100th episode. And it's kind of like we're we're setting a lot of uh, dominoes up to, to be knocked down. But that, that sense of momentum has not quite kicked in yet. Right. Right. Um, and there's just a lot of uh, exploration of, like, how the relationships of the liars are going to work with one another. Uh, and also with Allison, now that Allison's back. Uh, and the, the episode, like you were saying, it's a transition episode. Uh, it's doing a lot of setup work for Allison eventually returning to school. Right. Yeah, that's this. It's all <laughs> this episode is all basically like, and next week, Allison is back at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Shall we jump right in? Oh, I think we should. So we begin at like the the school book fair book exchange. Uh Aria and Hannah are each rocking some very interesting looks. Aria has a hat on. It is a hat with a capital H-A-T. I think it really looks like kind of a Heisenberg hat, which I guess that Aria is sort of embracing her identity as a criminal mastermind in the wake of becoming an accidental murderer. She is, in fact, the one who knocks. Um, and Hannah is is rocking her new look, which is some, like, bad girl black streaks underneath her hair. Uh, her the top of her hair is still blonde, and I like how it's like we're not going full on. Like it's not like Hannah has black hair or red hair. She's still Hannah. She's still blonde, but like this is definitely this look is definitely a deviation. Um, and you know, as as if Hannah needed more uh, complicated feelings about her own identity, Aria tells her that she likes the the black streaks, which first of all, kind of a red flag if Aria likes your look, and then tells Hannah. Um, that she is not spontaneous at all, that she plans every little thing out, which, you know, there's nothing like somebody telling you exactly who you are or who they believe you to be to really continue to screw with your identity. Uh, Hannah picks up a book of Shauna's, The Scarlet Letter, right? That's mm-hmm. the book that she picks up. And uh, Aria starts frantically reading through the passages that Shauna has underlined, sure that it all is a big, giant you know, uh, Clue having to do with Sh- Shauna and Allie and A. Uh, it's, it all must be connected. Hannah thinks it was just a school assignment. 
Mona comes over and picks up the book. Uh, she loved the Scarlet Letter. Who would throw it out? And she says that Shauna won't need it anymore because she transferred back to Georgia, right? She won't be needing that book anymore, Aria, right? And Mona, just delighting in how this commentary is making Hannah and Aria squirm, says, people come and go so quickly around here. Shauna gone, Allie back. One girl checks out, another checks in. Nice hair. And she has this just lovely, like, kind of uh, unnerving, unnervingly serene energy about her. Like, she's not being purposefully cutting. She's almost just sort of floating angelically through this whole interaction. Uh, Hannah, who did a pretty good job of dealing with Mona last week, seems rather thrown this week. Aria continues to be no help. Uh, I really enjoy these weird Hannah, Aria, Mona interactions. And I like that Hannah is becoming perhaps a little bit less confident in how to deal with Mona. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, Mona here is doing like the floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. Uh, And I am really happy that for the second episode in a row, uh, we get Mona walking away and Hannah and Aria both just like standing there looking like just dazed by the tornado of Mona's energy that has like descended upon them, disrupted them, and then just like as quickly as she came, moved away. Yeah, it's it's great. And and Mo- you know that Mona is walking away like, yes, nailed it again. <laughs> <laughs> and why wouldn't she? She just she just steals every scene that she's in this week. As usual. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So over at the De Laurentiis house, Allison is carrying a box of clothes downstairs. Kenneth thinks that she should hold off. Maybe there's something of her mom's that she'll want later. But those aren't actually Jessica's clothes. They're Allison's. She's outgrown them, and she's not the same person that she was two years ago. Also, by the way, she'll need some new things for going back to school. A new backpack, some notebooks... Uh, And Ken is just beside himself at the thought of her going back to school. Uh, He wants her to have a fresh start, and it's just impossible to see how she could do that here. Uh, He wants them to go back to where he moved to. It's not far. She could still see her friends. Uh, Maybe they could come down for the summer. Allison tears up at this. Uh, She says that he can't take her away from her friends, not after everything. Uh, And Ken still hates it, but it does look like he's probably powerless to resist, and Allison is going to get her way. Gosh, it's really so clear that Allison is basically raising herself by the fact that, A, she and her dad clearly haven't discussed school, or B, his move, or C, the fact that she should be in therapy, or D, any type of plan about how to move forward in the wake of everything that's happened. Yes. And I mean, there has been a lot going on. Jessica's death coming, like, quickly on the heels of Allison's return. But Ken is so ill-equipped to handle any of this also jason is gone now which it's kind of unsure if ken even notices that um just like oh my my manservant is gone now i have to like hire a task rabbit that i can yell at or something um but yeah there there are a lot of changes and ken does not seem like he is going to be able to weather or navigate them with allison especially well i feel like the de laurentis family needs a grandma marin type presence to like kind of come in and and deal with some of this stuff it's true yeah uh so over on the other side of the crime scene tape uh veronica in the hastings house is very perturbed by the continued active crime scene of her backyard 
Uh, Spencer tries to start a team-up conversation with her mom about the whole weird Melissa Peter situation. Veronica claims that Melissa's only secret is that she is back with Ren, but Spencer is certain that there's more. Uh, Peter comes in uh, just kind of generally unworried and sort of patronizing, telling his little ladies that, of course, they're upset, upset about Jessica, but they shouldn't worry and should try to relax. Veronica, however, is very worried and very unrelaxed about the state of the yard and how it looks like everything is going to be replanted, going so far as to suggest that Toby could come and do some of this manual labor. Um, when Spencer again tries to open up a conversation about what's actually going on, Veronica shuts that down, saying a line that I think is very, um, a very good line for Veronica and, and kind of a good line for a lot of the characters in this episode. Let's focus on what we can control. Yeah, this is such a, such an interesting Hastings scene. Uh, first of all, Peter coming down and saying like, what's wrong? Or should I say what's wrong now? In a tone of voice that like clearly uh, expresses like, before anyone's even said anything to him that expresses his irritation and frustration with the lady folk having all these inconvenient <laughs> emotions about things. Uh, and also yeah. that, that he tells them that he's talked to the police and they'll be, uh, they'll be done by tonight. So we should just note that the police are taking orders from Jessica's accidental murderer about how quickly they need to finish up work in his yard. Good, good. Stay. <laughs> Stay golden, Rosewood. Always, uh, always a really high standard there. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny, too, because last week there was the whole thing with Ken kind of like instructing the police about how, you know, he wanted them to interact around Jessica's funeral. And so it's like, yes, all the white men in town just just, you know, running, telling the police what's up. There's like a special number that you call if you're a white man in Rosewood. It's like a red like a red bat phone that rings at police headquarters. And you're like, hello, I'm a white man and I need to order the police around. And they're like, yes, sir, one moment. And they like pull out an order pad, like they're, you know, getting ready to like do a pizza for you. I think that's basically how it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I buy that for sure. But also, so like all this is going on, Spencer's upset, Veronica's upset. Spencer is like trying to do a survivor style alliance with her mom and it's not going great. <laughs> Uh, and the way that Veronica is in this scene, when she, when she's like basically doing a childlike, like waving her hands and putting them over her ears uh, to indicate that she does not want to talk about any of this is like, that is like a level of denial that I feel like is, um, is very clear and also very impressive. It, it reminds me of Veronica having breast cancer and not telling anyone in the family. Yeah, or not, or adopting Spencer and not telling anyone in the family. <laughs> right, right. Like, that's just, like, when the chips are down, you go with what you know. And this is very clearly what the Hastings family knows. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Uh, so elsewhere, Mona and Lucas are arguing. He is having second thoughts about the Mona's army stuff. Uh, he says Allie was blindfolded and held in a basement. And uh, he doesn't want to think about what else in a way that indicates he's actually spent a lot of time turning it over in his head in his private moments. Um, but anyway, he never thought he'd say this, but he feels bad for Allison. It's hard to see her as the devil when she just escaped from hell. Uh, and Mona is like having none of this. Mona is just like, oh, you little boy. She, she's the Peter Hastings in this scene. Like, you little boy with these inconvenient feelings that you're having. Uh, so she drops the dime 
on Allison's kidnap story being just that, a story. Uh, Lucas is shocked. He thinks no one would lie about that, which, like, Lucas, have you <laughs> met Allison? Like, come on. Um, Mona casually announces that she can prove it. There's a weird thing in this episode, and I mean, this is the this is the constant PLL problem, but it's like super glaring in this episode where there is this implication that Allison may have been sexually assaulted uh, during the time that she was missing. And yet nobody is saying it. It's like the thing that nobody talks about. It's how he- I've I, it's heavily implied here with Lucas. I also feel like it's pretty heavily implied in the scene between Kenneth and Allison. And then it's sort of the 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 possible specter in the uh, medical examination scenes. What do you make of how the show is implying or not implying that? Oh, I mean, I I think that it's doing it badly. Like I've I've always been glad that the show never um, never went all in on one of the liars being sexually assaulted because I, I don't trust how they would handle it necessarily. Um, yeah. And here, I think that they're doing. Here, I think that they're doing a bad job, especially because um, we have we have heard of sexual assaults on the show uh, being directed at men, such as uh, Jenna uh, forcing Toby into having sex, or such as uh, Mary Drake having sex with Peter while he thinks that she's Jessica, uh, things like that. Uh, Alex Drake and Toby, etc. Um, so we've we've seen things like that a lot of the time. I mean, also you have like everything with like Prezra and Arya, which certainly did not involve informed consent when she didn't know like who he was, what he was doing, how he was stalking her friends, etc. Um, so there's a lot of really worrisome stuff in general. And then here, I feel like they wind up sort of treating it like Jenna's blindness. Like, did it happen? Did it not happen? Like, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's a great look. I don't think so either. And and I agree with you that I'm glad that they didn't go all in on, you know, turn this into a season of SVU or anything. But I do feel like by not even using the the words. Right. It like it turns it into this weird sort of um, it almost makes it into something into a shameful thing for Allison, you know, oh, rather yeah. than like, no, let's talk about what happened to you. Let's you know, talk about how you survived. Let's. Not mentioned in polite company. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that like Ken, for example, should actually say the word rape or sexual assault uh, when he is having this conversation with Allison. The fact that he can't really bring himself to uh, is another indictment against his parenting of which there are many. Um, But yeah, it's, you're, you're right. Leaving it unnamed is problematic. And also, like, this episode centers so much on Allison being a liar uh, that I think that that's, like, that's just another issue to kind of throw on top of it. You know, when you were naming the uh, number of times that sexual assault is something that happens to men on this show, I was also thinking about Charlotte and Jason. And right. the, the, like, 12 layers of problematic in how the show <laughs> handles that particular relationship yeah (laughs) yeah um so over at uh the locker room emily is in full-on coach mode with sydney 
announcing that she is trying to avoid spending time with nosy Pam, who just asks questions all the time. Uh, Sydney is doing a pretty good job of being like a low-key investigator herself as she's kind of gently prized about why Emily doesn't want to go home and also suggests that it's pretty natural for Pam to have questions and that she herself might have some questions as well. Um, I feel like if Emily wasn't so distracted by everything going on in her life, Sydney might trip the sketch meter but right now she's just kind of blabbing her whole life story to Sydney. And also, she's just assuming that, like, because she hasn't ever seen Sydney before, Sydney must not be in any way involved. It's not like anybody has ever just, like, showed up and turned out to be intimately involved with Allison or Shadow <laughs> or anybody. Uh, Emily gets a call from Allison that she rejects. And then on her way out of the locker room, she almost bumps into Paige. Uh, these two are basically going to be starring in, like, a a weird kind of um, wacky rom-com that never really gets off the ground this episode. Yeah. They've, they've kind of reset the page Emily dynamic uh, since they're officially broken up now. Uh, yeah. And so now they have this like sort of, now they're back to the, will they, won't they kind of vibe, uh, which is a little bit more interesting. Um, but it's, it's disappointing that they don't know how to write them to be together and, and be happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 true. They're also I feel like they're doing the thing that shows do all the time where it's like a couple breaks up for very legitimate reasons. And then it's like the breakup somehow like solves the problem without solving the problem at all, because it's just like we miss each other. But the fact that we miss each other is evidence that we should be together. Never mind the fact that like we actually should should not be together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's totally true. Also, queer look alert on page who appears to be wearing a raglan shirt with mesh sleeves. I don't know what's going on there, but it is definitely a queer look. Yeah, yeah, Paige has some good looks this episode. (laughs) Um, So the liars are eating outside, but like not outside of the courtyard, outside like in front of the school building uh, because they don't want everyone staring at them in the cafeteria. Uh, when Arya sees Mona, she starts to just spiral. Like, she, she's just, like, a, a spinning top. Uh, what if Mona knows everything? What if she knows about Shauna? Um, Spencer tells her to take a psychological selfie because her paranoia is getting the better of her. Uh, they compare notes on all the questions they're fielding about Allie. Hannah says some girl in PE asked if Allison was fed raw meat, which Hannah, sa- which Hannah answered by throwing a dodgeball in her head. Um, Allison texts Spencer the news that the coroner has to wait on the tax report to find out what her mother died of. Uh, the liars have a back and forth about Jessica's murder, and Hannah is just in fine form, declaring that if Spencer's family had anything to do with it, they would not have buried her in their own flower beds. Um, this is an exposition-heavy scene, but it's still a lot of fun, mainly because of the sharp dialogue and Hannah's willingness to go in on a lobster monologue, dodgeball fights, and murder theories in the space of two minutes. Um, When Arya tells Hannah that it's not helping, Hannah is a good enough friend to not snap, neither is your dopey hat. She merely disagrees (laughs) and says that it is. I feel like that's such a good symbol of, like, Hannah understanding Spencer, that it's, like, the idea... Like, 
that's not how you her. You help Spencer by like giving her a logic based theory about why something couldn't happen, you know? Um, but yeah, Hannah is really holding down the fort in this scene. I love the, you know, I love the thing about the lobster and it's just, it's not, she goes on about the lobster for like a while. And um, <laughs> yeah, there's the, the image of Hannah hitting a girl over the head with a dodgeball is, is really great. Yeah. I feel like Hannah is actually doing the best in this episode in terms of like dealing, uh, dealing with her emotions in healthy and unhealthy ways. But like, Hannah is in the least amount of denial over Allison being back and is the most willing to actually like explore what that's going to mean and what it's going to look like. Well, she's and, and, and sort of an offshoot of that is that she's the liar who is interacting the most with Allison. Yeah, exactly. I also love the detail. And then it's kind of echoed in the next scene where they get the four way text and they all tense up, but it's Allison. I I love that. Um, and then that's that's sort of brought back into the beginning of the next scene where Allison is texting Emily, uh, asking for her to call her back. She signs the message A before thinking better of it and changing it to Allie, uh, which I love any time the show plays with the idea that maybe A and Allie are one and the same. Um, this is a great little moment of that. Uh, Kenneth walks in just then. Uh, he initially asks if Allison is hungry. She says she isn't. And then he tells her that she needs to uh, go in for the medical exam that he has been able to put off up until now. Uh, she gets very tearful at the prospect. He says that it is difficult but important and he will be right there. She doesn't want to and, and begs him to not make her do it. Uh, Kenneth says that if she was dot, dot, dot hurt, she needs to tell someone. She insists that nothing like that happened. Um, it's such an interesting, weird thing where, on the one hand, I can sort of understand a parent not even being able to bring themselves to say the words. But the idea that Allison is having to uh, sort of assure her father that nothing like that happened and kind of uh, almost parent him through this conversation is really a problem. He is clearly, as you've said, like so ill-equipped to deal with this. Um, the scene ends with them each kind of offering each other what they can in a way. Allison asks for a sandwich, which is something he can provide for her. He offers her new clothes. Um, when Ken leaves, she breaks down and cries. Um, it's like you said, it's, it's the, it's the Jenna's blindness thing again, because it's like, you could read this scene and be like, oh, Allison is afraid that the medical exam is going to prove that she's lying. Or you could read this scene and say, oh, Allison is afraid that they're going to find out that, you know, she was raped or assaulted in some way. Um, or Allison's afraid that they're going to find some kind of other injury that, you know, points to something else or is traumatic in some way. Um, it's. It's really, this is a really uncomfortable scene in a lot of ways. And I don't think the show really does right by it. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that you're right about that. Um, and just like Kenneth has done no prep work for this conversation. Like right. he, he brings it up, like he brings up the medical exam after asking her about this sandwich. He doesn't like sit her down and say like they can make a plan together. He doesn't mm-hmm. offer like Allison winds up deciding that she's going to ask one of the liars to go with her. He doesn't like offer that. He doesn't offer for one of her friends or for like, I, I mean, I don't even know, like some, some lady that he knows, Ashley, for example, to go, uh, yeah. to go and accompany Allison. Like 
he's done no prep work. He has no solutions. Uh, he just, he kind of just wants to, it seems like, check the box on this to get it over with. Right. And, you know, the idea of like a trauma counselor is something that brought up by the doctor later, but it's certainly not something that seems in any way to be on Ken's radar. I mean, he'd just as soon they never talk about it again, and we all just forget it happened. Right. Right. Uh, this is a that, that's a hard scene, for sure. Uh, so back at school, Spencer is at her locker when Andrew comes over. Uh, he opens with the line that he's been thinking about her and wanted to check in. Uh, Spencer Riley suggests that he wants to make sure she isn't popping pills like candy anymore. And he wasn't going to say it like that. But yes, basically, that's what he's here to check on. Uh, the fact that she's willing to make that remark to Andrew, of all people, really shows that she has things she'd like to be able to talk about. Uh, and that Spencer, as well as Allison, should certainly be in therapy at this point. But Andrew makes small talk for a few moments. As he's walking away, Spencer calls after him to ask what he's doing this weekend. He replies that he has a feeling she's about to tell him. But more importantly, during this scene at Spencer's locker, we can see that there is a whiteboard behind her with a message written on it that says Kyla is the best with a heart and the word Spence underneath of it. Who is Kyla? Why can't she help with the gardening project? These are the things that I want to know. Hashtag who is Kyla. <laughs> I, I'm imagining she's probably on the field hockey team with Spencer. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, you know, we've talked before about how, like, Spencer often kind of uses her sexuality in a way when she's feeling kind of self-destructive. And I feel like that's really something that's happening here uh, with Andrew, whether she's aware of it or not. I think that she knows that Andrew is um, and flirting with Andrew is sort of flirting with danger. Having Andrew near, she's going to flirt with him. Like there's an attraction there. He's made it extremely clear that he's into her. Um, he is a, he is an outlet for drugs. He is an outlet for potentially a casual hookup. And I think that Spencer is. Um, you know, she's not, she's, she's staying sober from her study aid here, but it's, but there is sort of this sense that like, she's feeling really unraveled and, uh, Andrew is, and Andrew is a box of cookies that she might like to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. He's a bad decision that she would like to keep, uh, keep around, uh, in case she decides to go that route. Uh, also she's definitely very self-destructive in this episode, which we're going to get a glimpse of that, uh, later on after she's cleaning up from the dinner they have for sure for sure yeah um but you know i kind of like i kind of like andrew just because like he's so thirsty <laughs> that it's almost funny you know like his line later when he's like i could like you could get me a bottle of water or you could just make out with me like i'm like this dude you know like it's it's almost it's it's sort of noel con-esque in a way it's like he's like the the dollar bin Noel Khan. Like he he is. Is. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he is uh like the the best thing about him is definitely like his thirst for Spencer. 
and that he's not Toby. Like, I think maybe part of it is that Toby so often seems like really aloof and disinterested in Spencer other than the weird moments when he's like sniffing her hair. Um, and so it's there's something kind of because it's like, yes, some some a girl like Spencer Hastings, of course, there'd be so many people falling all over themselves for her. And so it's kind of it's kind of fun to see that in Andrew. True. true yeah. True. Uh, so Aria, still in her hat, is in the darkened computer lab at school. Uh, she checks an email from Fitz that says, thank you, subject line, thank you. But it's just a generic thank you to the school for all of the loving support and Medal of Freedom that they probably gave him and blah, blah, blah. Uh, just then she gets a, a, an instant message from somebody called Theater Girl saying that if it was her, she couldn't forget it and it would haunt her for life. Aria, very freaked out and with a lot of like weird close up shots of her face, uh, asks, who is this? It's Becca from AP History. But Aria and her hat are very upset. Then Aria Googles Shauna, finding some footage from her funeral. Uh, it's open casket. There is a woman singing um, a, a beautiful hymn. Aria stares and cries and imagines Shauna sitting up and staring at her. Oh, Aria. <laughs> That's so Aria. <laughs> it is. It is so Aria. Um, this is also the scene is where Aria has an email about the fencing project uh, that, that she has contracted for, uh, which a lot of people felt like Aria was A and the fence was the electric fence outside the dollhouse. Uh, but to that, I say, like, Aria has no parents. Uh, she is probably in charge of hiring out all house projects for the Montgomery's, like, replacement windows, gutter cleaning, fence stuff. She's raising Mike as a single parent. She does not have time to repair whatever is going on with their fence. The team Carpenter is busy. Andrew is booked this weekend. Sometimes a girl has to subcontract. You know, yeah, she's just, she's got a lot of balls in the air. And yeah, she's, she's got to, she's got to figure it out. <laughs> There's also like a thing about this episode is that we have a lot of people staring at computers and having emotions. Like we have this scene with True. Aria and then we're going to have a couple scenes of Allison doing the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. And oh, and Spencer is going to stare at the computer when she's looking up rat poison. So it's a lot of like, instead of people having like human interaction is going to be like people looking at a screen and having an emotion all by themselves. It's a very good point. Yeah, which is never as dynamic as much <laughs> as it, it's fun to see Lucy Hale and her hat stare at that computer screen. <laughs> that hat is a cry for help if I've ever seen one. <laughs> it is. It is. I want the hat to start talking to her by episode's end. It's like, yeah, it's like the sorting hat, but for murderers. <laughs> um. Aria, you have to kill again. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, so Hannah is doing her homework at the brew when Lucas greets her. Uh, he is like last when last we saw him. Remember, he was kind of like dark Lucas. And now he's like dark Lucas, but with a heart because he's having these second thoughts about uh, Mona's plans. Uh, he tells Hannah that he's not being homeschooled anymore. It was too much uh, with his mom being able to flunk him or ground him. Uh, he says he's heard about Allison. And when he says that he's heard about Allison, he is clearly searching Hannah's face in the hopes of determining if she is willing to lie to him or not. Um, so he's setting up this like 
this friendship test about Hannah. And also it's very telling that like his feelings about whether or not Allison is lying. Like he definitely seems to feel like Allison is certainly capable of lying, but whether or not he believes her is going to depend on whether Hannah believes her and whether Hannah is like going to tell him the truth or not. Um, Hannah kind of dodges most of his questions. She doesn't really engage with him uh, on, on any of what he's saying. Uh, and then she kind of blows him off when she gets a call from Allison herself. She like physically gets up and moves away from the table to take the call and talk to her. Uh, Allison is feeling frozen out. Hannah is the first person to pick up when she calls. And instead of being like, I'm so glad you picked up. She's like, where is everyone? No one's answering the phone for me. Uh, which is not a great way to like encourage someone to answer the phone again. Um, but the long and the short of it is that Allison is having a medical exam tomorrow she doesn't want to go alone. Can Hannah go with her? And this is like one of those things. It is not really an ask. She's basically summoning Hannah to do this with yes. her. But Hannah's heart, of course, is wide open. And so, of course, she will go along. Yeah, this scene, it's interesting. It opens with Hannah getting a text from Travis that she doesn't respond to. And it's like, oh, remember Travis? We oh, seen right, in a while. right. Yeah, I have, like I could... eternal, I eternal sunshine that part out because it had like no bearing on anything Well, else. understandably. Um, but also like Lucas is so like quippy and chatty when he walks up to Hannah. Like it's so, it's so gross. Um, this whole scene and this whole episode, really, you can just tell that Hannah isn't comfortable in her own skin. Like her, she's, she's kind of, her body language is kind of turned in on itself. She's frowning a lot. She's not her usual kind of vivacious Hannah self. And that's never more clear than when she's on the phone with Allison at the end of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so back at the locker room, Emily is looking for Sydney and she runs into Paige and it is awkward. Uh, Paige says that Emily is doing great with Sydney. Emily says that she is grateful to talk to somebody who doesn't know about the whole Allie situation. Um, when Paige asks how Allison is, Emily doesn't really know. And then Sydney bursts in. Um, Sydney might be trying to engineer these two getting back together. It seems like she's kind of tangentially involved in a lot of their little awkward run-ins. Emily weirdly invites Paige to run sprints with her. What is your game here, Emily Fields? <laughs> Listen, I don't know. Paige is like so thrilled about being asked to run sprints. If, if this were me, I would totally be like, oh, my God, we are broken up. I do not have to run sprints with you after a page probably just like finished swimming 10 miles. Um, I would be really thrilled to not have to go run sprints also. But Paige is like, this is Paige. If Emily asks her to, she's going to be like, yeah, let me just go get some water. Um, yeah. Also, she's wearing another queer look shirt, which in, in this scene, uh, it is a sleeveless black tank. It, it actually looks like Paige might have cut the sleeves off of it. And I think it's some kind of band shirt because it has like wings on the front of it. Yeah, for sure. You know, Emily, though, she's just she's always kind of playing a numbers game. It's like she's not really sure where things are at with Allison. She doesn't want to get too close. Uh, she's going to she's going to kind of keep Paige <laughs> going to kind of keep Paige on the back burner on a low simmer back there, you know. Yeah, for, for someone who, like, last week was like, maybe we'll be friends, I don't know, uh, she is really quick to invite Paige to uh, do an activity with her here. Well, it's interesting. Aria will speak to this later, but definitely a theme of this episode is, like, how 
when you when you're afraid of getting hurt, how close do you let yourself get to somebody? Um, and that is like for sure playing out with Paige and Emily in terms of Paige just kind of she like she knows this never ends well for her. But if Emily asks, she's gonna be there. Yeah, well, that's true. I think we're also going to see some growth from Paige in this episode. And as a result, we're kind of going to see some growth from Emily, which is, I think that that's interesting. It's it's interesting the way that that works together. Um, also, there was no transition, but it is now Saturday. Uh, we knew that Emily was going to be meeting up with Sydney on Saturday. So even though it was like never night or anything, uh, it's now <laughs> the weekend. <laughs> You know, we had those few episodes where it was never daytime, and now mm-hmm. it's going to just be never nighttime. Yeah, it's, I mean, yes, it's, and also. <laughs> November 57th. <that's a> <laughs> yes, that's a great transition to the things that I have to say about our next scene, which <laughs> is Spencer and Andrew are planting a bunch of flowers remember that it is still november in pennsylvania and quite certainly after the first frost of the season where did they even get all of these plantlings during the pandemic i have become something of a gardening gay and i am shocked at the higgledy piggledy approach to these flowers andrew wants a break during which he will have either water and a snack or a makeout session with Spencer. Now, it is true that making out with Andrew would not sound appealing to me, like, under really any circumstances, but the idea of, like, making out with somebody who is, like, dehydrated <laughs> from doing all the plantlings, who probably smells like manure, and whose mouth is probably, like, just dry and gross. Th- this is, like, really not a good sales pitch <laughs> at all. Yeah, he's he's not he's not exactly making himself look like attractive merchandise here. <laughs> no, no, he really isn't. And Spencer not only declines the makeout session, but she doesn't even get him water in a snack. <laughs> so he's like <laughs> He should have just asked for water and then like tried to like work up to the makeout thing. Like the way the way that he put it out there as like equally valid options allowed Spencer to be like, actually, none of that. We're just going to go and work some more, planting these flowers that will immediately die because the ground is frozen. Spencer, can you please spit in my mouth? That's really bad. Like two birds. Yeah, it's up, it's. You know? <laughs> yeah, if I can't have water, can you at least swap saliva with me like that? That's not a line I feel that is gonna that is gonna have a high rate of success. <laughs> um, so Spencer declines uh, this this riveting <laughs> offer uh, to make out with him, uh, saying that she is still with the carpenter. He shrugs it off, saying he had to try. <laughs> Spencer wants them to keep working. Her mom is displacing her anxiety into the gardening. She mentions Veronica checking in to uh, an expensive security system and sleeping downstairs in a chair. Uh, And then she mutters to herself about whether she's more afraid of what's outside the house or what's inside. Uh, Spencer still having like the Hastings soap opera dialogue of like talking to herself while Andrew is right there. Um, 
He's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, nothing, nothing. Uh, she goes to grab some more mulch and then shrieks at the sight of a dead possum. Uh, Andrew pulls her back in case it's just playing dead. Uh, and then he discovers that it has been poisoned, having eaten a bunch of rodenticide, uh, which is like a rat poison. Spencer is surprised. They've never had a rat problem or any rats. Andrew looks at the conveniently pasted on the side of the bucket receipt uh, and announces that it was bought last week. Also, it cost almost $60. That is a lot for your non-existent rat problem. But anyway, uh, he thinks maybe the rat problem is new. While Spencer, meanwhile, seems to worry that the purchase might be connected to Jessica's death. Yeah, this is a real Byron's golf club of a piece of evidence here. It's like, it's, yes, I get that, like, we need Spencer to become increasingly suspicious of Peter and have this sort of fake out with all of this. But, like, it just feels like too many hats. Like, we've brought Andrew back. He's going to flirt with Spencer. There's the whole, like, garden situation Then now there's this rat poison. There's a possum. There's no, you know, like there's the the rat situation isn't even what killed Jessica. Um, And it's just, it's like, we've just, we've gone, we've gone too far. However, all of this would be a good uh, and sort of eventually is a a low key, you know, Andrew is shady reveal. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Also the, the thing about the rat poison is that it doesn't even like, this doesn't even last through this episode as maybe right. rat poison killed Jessica. Like it's, it's going to not even make it out of like the next scene that Andrew and Spencer are in together. So th- there yeah. you have it. Like, we're just going to, we're going to worry about this now and then it's going to go away really soon. Yeah. It's, it's an odd, like, I feel like there's enough other stuff going on in this episode that we don't really need this particular thread, but. Agreed. You know. So post-swimming, or post-threesome, we're not really sure, uh, Emily, Paige, and Sydney are starving and out to get some pizza. Uh, There are some definite vibes between Emily and Paige as they giggle over old memories of being a couple. Uh, Emily, who seemed uh, pretty hell-bent on putting up walls with Paige for the last couple of episodes, and generally put up a lot of walls with Paige when they were a couple— Seems very into giggling and reminiscing over, you know, happier times. Paige is into this as well until she sees Mona staring at her and fully goes cold. Yes. Oh, man. Mona, who is just everywhere in this episode, uh, is here watching this little, you know, watching this little thing. And we know that Mona is always watching all the time. Um, but seeing the effect that it has on Paige here is is a really interesting choice. Very interesting. Very interesting. I agree. Oh, so poor Allison uh, is getting her medical exam while Hannah sits in the room for support. Uh, of course, the Rosewood police didn't bother to find a female doctor. And then again, it's not Ren doing the exam, so I guess that's something. Um, (laughs) The old guy compliments Allison's lung strength and then examines her original head wound. He wants her to come back for an x-ray, 
thinking particles from the original weapon could be caught in the scar tissue. Yeah, and through all of these scenes, Hannah just looks super uncomfortable, like just twisting in her seat, can barely even look at Allison. Well, and Hannah's outfit is really interesting. Hannah is dressed almost like a mom. I uh, have that same note. Yeah, Very, like, very matronly in, in the look that she's wearing. Like, she's going to be the adult in the room. And she even, even her makeup, like, she has this, like, red mom lipstick on. <laughs> like, she yeah. doesn't really look like Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so over at Emily's, Emily is like putting away laundry or something through this whole scene while Spencer and Aria sit around and drink coffees and comment on her love life. Uh, Emily is confused about why her ex-girlfriend doesn't want to hang out and vaguely flirt with her after Emily broke her heart. Uh, oh, Emily, uh, Aria suggests that maybe Paige isn't so sure. Um, Aria notes that Emily's been a little MIA with Allison and the, the liars kind of do a round robin of accusing all, all three of them as uh, essentially being MIA with Allison. Emily asks if Aria thinks that she's scared to get close to Allie again. And Aria, uh, number one Emerson shipper here, point blank asks Emily if she still has feelings for Allison. Emily claims that she really doesn't know. Then comments on how they finally got what they wanted with Aegon and Allison back, and she thought it would feel like before, but it doesn't. Arya pivots this into a conversation about Nate. She asks if Emily found herself obsessed with Nate and wanting to know everything about him after his death. Uh, Emily relates a memory of getting the package from Nate's mom and thinking about the fact that she wrote Emily's name and that her hands were shaking and the idea that she was touching something that would eventually go to her son's killer. Um, Ari is like, nope, can't relate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, I love, I love this scene. I love that they're talking about it. Um, And I love that Aria like asks Emily outright, um, about Allison. I think that that's such a great thing for the eternal romantic Aria uh, to just call it out. And this also marks a real change uh, in that for a long time, uh, like for a long time, Paige didn't want to say the word Allison to Emily. Like she didn't want to, she didn't want to talk about Allison because she was afraid of like conjuring Emily's feelings for her. And also the subject of Emily's feelings for Allison, it's been kind of like just a, a taboo for the liars to bring it up. Like they just Mm -hmm. don't, they don't talk about it. They respect Emily's privacy. They let her work through it. And here Aria is like, just, just putting it out on the table. Like, is, is this something that's still going on? Yeah. And what do you make of Emily's? I really don't know. What do you make of that response? Um, you know, there's a line in a Sierra DeMulder poem where she says, like, I love the idea of you for so long, I forgot you had skin. And I feel like I, I feel like that's kind of a good description of where I think Emily is. Like, and, and when you're talking about, like, the, the idea of, like, Paige not wanting to get close to Emily for fear that she'll be hurt, I definitely think that that's where Emily is in terms of Allison. Um, of of really wanting this to happen, but also being like scared that you know that like being in a relationship with Allison is like 
you know, it's like a cheese grater. Like even when you're going along the smooth side, you're going to, you know, you're going to go back up the rough way um, mm-hmm. any, any second now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it. I like that quote for Emily a lot. Yeah. Huh. Um, so in the room, also, I, I like that the liars are all kind of like calling each other out on not being there for Allison, but not yeah. really doing it judgmentally. Like they're, they're all kind of in the same boat about being really hesitant in accepting her presence and, and what it means. Like they all have their own reasons for it, but they're sure. all, they're all doing it. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I like that too. It's this kind of, um, it almost feels like a conversation that would have happened in Dr. Sullivan's office, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so back in the room where the medical exam is happening, a light is shining in Allison's eyes. The doctor asks her to recline on the table and Allison looks really upset. Uh, He then wants her to scoot forward and tell him about a scar high up on her thigh. He is not very sensitive in asking about it at all. Allison recoils. She does not want to give him any information. Um, She makes up a story about cutting it when she jumped out of the car blindfolded. Uh, And he disagrees with how long ago the wound is from. And he thinks it looks more like a slice than a puncture. Uh, But Allison just lashes out at him. And Hannah eventually has to interject to ask if they're done here. Uh, He wants a nurse to still do some more blood work for Allison and for her to make an appointment with a trauma counselor. Uh, And this is a moment of like real vulnerability as Allison can barely bring herself to look at Hannah uh, during, during the final part of this scene. And it's like, this is one of those moments, like we know that Allison is lying to everyone about the kidnap story, but her reaction here seems so like it, it doesn't even seem like the kind of thing, like when Lucas says like, who would lie about that? Like, this doesn't even seem like, is it true or is it a lie? Like, this seems like a primal response from Allison, like just like a a really like almost feral trauma response uh, that is triggered by this man asking her about the scar. So it definitely is being built up as if something uh, traumatic happened. But then again, it could also be because the police don't really believe her story, but here is Allison like acting exactly like you would expect uh, for someone who had been, Uh, someone who had been sexually assaulted or who had been, you know, traumatized uh, in this particular way. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting moment. It's another moment where they're not, you know, really saying the thing that they're talking about. They're heavily implying a lot of things. Um, It's, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Hannah continues to feel very momish, especially the way she asks if they're done. Allison is like you said she's just so desperate and so feral and we never really find out the truth about this do we no I think that it, I think this is somehow connected to Cyrus uh like yeah he, he stabs her or he robs her or something but I yes. will we'll have to find out as that as that story unfolds and then once you get to Cyrus it's like all of the like what about this is true what about this isn't true so it's you know it's it's the same old same old, same old from the show. Well, and I also feel like it's really weird the way that they do this too, where it's this cut on her thigh, which feels potentially 
sexual assault adjacent in nature, and yet it's not like it, it's the weird PLL plausible deniability where it's like, well, it could just be a cut on her thigh. It's just her thigh, but then it's like, it's like well, very high up on her thigh. Like, yeah, and they only they only they do a weird shot of it. Like they they show you it and they flash away really quickly. Like I actually yeah. I I didn't remember a lot of detail about this, so I actually had to like pause and be like, okay, where where is this? What's happening? And I was like, okay, that's not, so it's on her inner thigh. I mean, it seems. And it, it definitely seems like it's like right under the the hem of the hospital yeah. gown, uh, which is not very long. Well, the other thing that I found really weird about this scene is that it feels like there's this implication that she's about to have a pelvic exam that never happens. Right. Like right. She, lean, she leans back. She's kind of breathing deep. Hannah looks really concerned. And then he's like, OK, you can sit up now. And it's like it's like the, it's a it's so it's so weird. It's so weird the way the show is like dangling this idea in front of us like it's like it it reminds me a little bit of the way that like uh, um svu will often kind of play with this idea that like ooh, maybe benson's gonna be sexually assaulted in this episode and it it has a similar flavor to me of like it doesn't feel sensitive it feels almost tit- titillating in a way that i don't like yeah i definitely agree Um, so Spencer arrives home to find Veronica sitting, uh, on the couch in a bit of a daze. Spencer announces that she is making Andrew dinner as a thank you gift, which feels again, like Spencer really playing with fire here. Uh, she goes and sits beside her mother asking why Veronica won't talk to her. Um, Veronica insists that this isn't about the issue of trust, but Spencer begs to not be alone in all of this. Veronica, she just kind of can't hold it in anymore. Uh, She says that she has had a sick feeling in her stomach ever since Jessica's death. She shares that after Allison's disappearance, Jessica was convinced Spencer was involved. She threatened to go to the cops, but Peter in turn blackmailed her with their affair. Oh, just, you know, De Laurentiis, uh, Hastings stuff. A-plus parenting all around. Uh, Veronica suggests that uh, in the wake of the divorce and Allison's return, Jessica felt like she had nothing to lose and that maybe she was going to go to the police with her suspicion that Spencer killed the girl in the grave. Um, Peter, maybe he did something to shut her up is kind of what Veronica is implying here. She wants to believe that he didn't. Uh, So nice of Veronica to just dump all of this on her teenage daughter. (laughs) Yeah, this is why everyone in the Hastings household should be in therapy so that they can talk yes. to like a professional and not their like kid who's already spinning out, who's in recovery from addiction and was in a mental hospital within this month. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, honey, your dad might be a murderer and he might have done it on your behalf. Oh, I'm going to go to bed. I feel better having got that <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> I think I'm finally going to sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is a lot. Uh, but, like, on the other hand, as, as bad a job as Veronica is doing here, and as bad as a job uh, that Ken is doing with Allison, I will say the bar is extremely low. At least they are here. At least they are present <laughs> with their kids, unlike Arya, who is, like, once again, unparented, for this entire episode. <laughs> True. Yep. Yep. Good point. 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, back in the exam room, Allison is finishing up with the nurse. Hannah is asking if she's okay. And Hannah, just being Hannah, she's really sweet. Uh, even though she's been, like, really uncomfortable throughout these scenes, uh, she offers to drive them to Longbrook and get takeout from a Chinese place that Allison likes. And Allison, who's been feeling, like, frozen out by the liars, like, this is a moment where Hannah is, like, expressing, like, warmth and sympathy uh, for her. And Allison, like, Allison, like, sits with that for about half a second, then says, nope, she's fine, and gives Hannah a tape recording of everything that she has said during this exam and the half hour uh, before Hannah was in the room when Allison was answering questions. Uh, and she wants Hannah to not only memorize it, but also make the other liars memorize it as well. Uh, otherwise, if the police think that Allison is lying, they're going to be asking about New York in no time. Uh, Hannah is really not happy about this <laughs> and uh, retaliates a little bit by asking Allison about the scar. Uh, she says, did, you know, did someone do that to you? Did you do it to yourself? I love that Hannah asked Allison, did you do it to yourself? Because I feel like that indicates that Hannah either knows or suspects that Allison might have had like issues with cutting previously uh, yeah. which, you know, Hannah is also someone who has struggled uh, with, you know, with body image and things like that. So I, I think that's really interesting that that's where Hannah's mind uh, might have been at. But Allison absolutely won't talk about it. Uh, she says, once you know something, you can't unknow it, uh, which is an interesting response for sure. Uh, a very Peter Hastings kind of response. You can't lie about yeah. something you don't you don't know about. Um but I think it's really interesting. The interesting thing that happens here is that Allison gives Hannah uh, this tape recording and makes Hannah be the messenger to the other liars because Allison clearly senses uh, that her own her own pull with the other liars is maybe not strong enough to make them do this. So, but she understands that her pull with Hannah right now is. So yeah. she's going to make Hannah do this, and then. Hannah, who the liars are going to have a much more difficult time saying no to because she's one of them because uh, they draw the circle with Hannah inside of it. Uh, Hannah is going to be successful in this mission where Allie herself might not be. And Hannah is going to be the bad guy as well because right. of what Allison sets up. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. I, I also took the note that this was a very Peter Hastings line. Also, who is a character who we know had self-harm happening on her thighs is one Paige McCullers, which is something that Allison pointed out and is a very interesting connection to Paige's line later about, you know, do you ever think about when you became the thing that you were afraid of? Oh, my goodness. What a great, great callback. Good that, catch. That that line between Allie and Paige, man, it's, 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 it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Um, it is. So Spencer is looking up rodenticide, learning that it can be fatal to humans. Uh, I feel like this scene, you know, it's another like staring at the computer screen scene. It goes on for like longer than it needs to like scrolling, scrolling, it, you know, close up, close up. It's fatal to humans. What? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> right, and, right. Because I mean, normally humans would just like eat rat poison right, right out of the box, like like cereal, you know, like some Honey Nut Cheerios. I feel like this is a pretty well known thing. I mean, this was a plot point. <laughs> Like, I think we know that rat poison is, like, not good for people. Um, But before uh, Spencer can go too far down this particular rabbit hole, she gets a message from Allison asking if they can talk. Yeah, and and once again, this is, like, uh, not so much of a request as saying, I need, you know, Allison says she needs to speak to her. Uh, So it's not, again, like, Allison has been getting kind of cold shoulder, and now she is just, like, laying it down Mm -hmm. exactly exactly i feel like you should even though that was short you should take this next scene because i know you love it oh man okay so Paige is heading to her car after dark and suddenly mona is there looking fabulous like mona looks like she just stepped off the runway uh and mona like her opening line is didn't mean to scare you why um but Paige is Paige is just you know sort of trying to put some distance here and saying that she is still not interested in helping Mona uh Mona however has a lot of information uh she knows that Ken wants to take Allie away but Allison wants to come back to school um Paige does not deny that she would love for Allison to just get out of town but she says she's not going to make it happen. Uh, Mona swears that if Paige isn't with her, she's against her. She does not get to be a social Switzerland. Paige says she isn't with anyone. And Mona says, sure you are, or you want to be. And Mona also, uh, as part of her info dump, says, and Emily is with Allie. Which is, like, another lie. Like, she does, she definitely doesn't say, like, Emily is aligned with Allie. She says Emily is with Allie. Um, yeah. Which she's doing, like, she's doing specifically to provoke a response from Paige. Uh, and then as Mona stalks away, Paige calls after her uh, and says, like, what are the best lines of the series? Uh, when exactly, you know, do you ever wonder when exactly you became the thing that you were afraid of, uh, which is such a good line and so perfect for those two. It's, I think it's kind of like the the Pretty Little Liars equivalent of like in the in the Batman universe when Harvey Dent says like in Gotham you either like die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Like th- yeah. those are the those are the choices. Yeah, yeah. I that line works on so many levels. Uh I I love that line in connection to Allison and her internalized biphobia and the way that she um you know treated other queer characters on the show. Of course, it's such a great line with Mona and Allison. Um but but Paige as well. I mean, Paige is really Paige is on quite an arc this half season. She's really trying, I think. She's really trying to be better, and she's really trying to um, sort of stay, you know, both, stay kind of both above the fray, but also, like, not make waves. She's just really trying to be be good here. And um, it's it's a great moment of her kind of 
you know, there's a way in which she has more clarity on this situation than Mona does because she's not in it in the same way that Mona is. She's a little bit removed from it and can call Mona out in that way. Well, yeah, and and Paige's journey almost echoes Hannah's in this episode. Like, Paige is kind of dealing with, like, so if I'm not Emily's girlfriend, who am I? If I'm not a person who is scared of Allison, who am I? And also, like, Mona, like, the, the play that Mona is trying to run here, Mona is, like, saying, okay, Allison is coming back to school we don't want Allison to have the power. So I need to consolidate power. I need to be like, Hannah isn't going to be the Allison anymore. Uh, it's going to have to like be Mona and Mona's army sort of like drawing the battle lines here. So Mona, she's not trying to become Allison, but she's trying to become as powerful as Allison was so that she can defeat Allison um, when it, when it comes to that. And Paige who was consistently very afraid of Allison is refusing to be cowed by this, like this new incarnation uh, that Mona is working, which I think is also a real sign of her growth. I agree. And I also think this line is, is interesting for what Spencer is going through this episode because that she is both terrified of becoming like her family and terrified of not becoming like her family. You know, she wants to live up to the family name, but she also doesn't want to become, you know, what she rightly perceives to be this very sort of toxic uh, situation within her family. And yet she fears that it's somewhat inevitable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. It's a great line. I'm really glad that Paige is the character who who gets to deliver it. Um, and it's, it's really interesting for Mona to, for once, be in the position where, like, yes, she is the all-knowing, you know, Mona. She's she's everywhere and nowhere, all of that. But, like, she's sort of too clouded by her own fury and her own fear. She's She's not seeing clearly in the way that she sometimes does. She's not seeing clearly in the way that um, a character like Paige kind of can... Uh, she's, she's in it. She's in it too much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I love the, like, I I love the, like Mona saying, I know you want to be with Emily. Like she's just calling that out directly. Uh, and I feel like one of the ways that Mona recognizes this queer longing, uh, and this love triangle is of course the unspoken Vandermeeren connection. Right. Well, I, I also feel like there's this there is a reading, if you're looking for it here, of like, you know, Paige was sort of on that, you know, quasi date with Emily earlier in this episode, and then she got distracted staring at Mona. Ooh. You know, Mona is showing up here and sort of propositioning Paige and uh, bringing up the idea of, well, Emily is with somebody and you are not, you know, and there's there's definitely a read here of like, um, you know, Mona is trying to seduce Paige in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah, that is that is a really good point. Yeah, there's in all she sorts could, of ways. She could do with water and a snack or... Or <laughs> Paige could spit in her mouth. Um... <laughs> Draw your own conclusions. Exactly. Um, meanwhile, Aria is obsessively watching the funeral footage again and again and again and again. 
uh, staring at it as though this is going to be the time that Shada does, in fact, wake up and turn to the camera and say, Arya, you and your hat murdered me. Um, and the music kind of plays the music that of the, the the hymn that's being sung, and then it's kind of you know choppy because Arya is like speeding through the video and going back and forward and back and forward. Uh, yeah, Arya is not in a good place here. I don't really know why they have so many scenes of people staring at computers in this episode. Uh, it's <laughs> it's not a super interesting directorial choice. It seems like yeah. a very lazy way of people getting information and trying to like scoot the plot along. Um, and also like none, like I understand wanting to like see Arya react to this funeral footage over and over again. Um, but it just seems like there are other ways that that this could happen other than, uh, other than, especially because we don't get a lot of scenes of the liars all together in this episode, possibly because yeah. they're fracturing a little bit. We saw them all together at the lunch table, and then we saw three of them together in Emily's room. Uh, but other than that, there's just a lot of, like, kind of individual uh, individual pockets of things going on and watching someone read something off of the computer, particularly when you're watching the show on your own computer, it's just like an, it's just like an Escher painting. It just doesn't really, it doesn't really do a lot. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's, it's odd too, because we're going to very soon be getting the sort of Aria observes Jenna's grief arc. So it's like, I don't know if we needed that and Arya staring at the funeral footage. Like, I agree that it feels like there's a more interesting way they could do it. And to me, it's another symbol of the fact that, like, there's just not much to the Shauna character. And so it's like, all we can really do is, like, show some vague footage from a funeral and be like, it's Shauna's funeral and Arya is sad. Well, and all of the freaking funerals these girls have been to in Rosewood, Shauna doesn't even get a Rosewood funeral. She just gets this, she just gets this, like, live streamed from Georgia funeral I, I feel like uh, I, I feel like they were really phoning it in here I feel like they should have had like a Jessica Shauna to right right like so in, that would have been you good. know like the end of a Jane Austen novel with like everybody getting married like this could have been like everybody getting married it's it Barry Palooza yes exactly exactly Huh. So, um, yeah, Arya is not in a super healthy place. Uh, speaking of people who are staring at computers and not in a super <laughs> healthy place, uh, Allison is reading through a message board on which everyone is just fucking delighted that she went missing. Uh, we've got devil memes. We've got comments about her rotting in hell. We have really graphic ill wishes generally um spencer comes in and like physically takes allison's computer away telling her not to look at that stuff uh which is kind of uh it's funny that spencer does this this is a mirror of veronica earlier being like no no we're not talking about that uh she, like, yeah like like spencer acts like by taking the computer away allison will just like forget that that exists and is out there mm -hmm. um allison says you know maybe she shouldn't go back maybe coming back from the dead wasn't enough to earn her like a new, you know, a new life. Uh, Spencer wonders if that's what Allie wanted to talk about. Allie going back to school, 
but it is not. Um, they got the tox report back, and it turns out that someone messed with Jessica's medication. She had low blood pressure, which, like, how anyone could live in Rosewood and have low blood pressure. I guess maybe, like, maybe, like, in an evolutionary way, like, maybe you're more likely to survive in Rosewood if, like, nothing phases you and you just have, like, very low blood pressure all the time. Um, but she had low blood pressure and there was uh, Losartan in her system, which treats hypertension, i.e. the opposite problem. Uh, Spencer, like, she just, like, gasps. Like, she gasps vocally and, like, with her whole face. Um, she starts panicking. Allison asks her what's wrong. And, like, Allison very matter-of-factly asks if Spencer thinks that her dad did it. Um, Spencer nods. And Allison just, like, commiserates. Like, she commiserates in, like, the tone that you would commiserate if, like, oh, yeah, I have those boots. And, like, they, you know, they cut your heel. They look so cute. But, like, they, you know, they, they chafe your heel or whatever. Um, she says that it's just awful thinking your parent might be capable <laughs> of something like that. Uh, she still doesn't understand how Jessica could have watched someone murder her and let them walk away like that. Um, Spencer tells Allison that she worries that she's gotten so used to there being monsters under the bed that if they aren't there, she'll make them up. Uh, and then Allison tells her there are still monsters. They just might not be under the bed, so to speak. And I love that line from Spencer because this is a, this is an episode where we're seeing people kind of like test the idea, like, is a really gone? Like, and what would that mean for me if they are? And Spencer is kind of saying, like, I am worried that if I don't constantly have a mystery to solve, that I'm going to start making it up. Like, that yeah. if, if, you know, if, if I don't have to worry all the time about who who's close to me might be A, I'm going to start just suspecting people who are close to me might be murderers. Yeah, this is, you know, something that I wish the show had sort of grappled with more as it went on, because I think it's absolutely a, a theme in The Liars' Lives. Um, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you know that Sex in the City episode where uh, Carrie has decided that all men are freaks. And so she, like this guy that she's dating has like a locked box in his closet and she starts like crying <laughs> open. And it's just like old baseball cards. I have seen that episode. Carrie is so awful in that episode. <laughs> oh my God. I know. And I feel like that's kind of, that's exactly Spencer. That's exactly Spencer's mode. Like there's a locked box I must open and it must be the worst thing imaginable. There must be a human head inside. Um, yeah. Allison has weird energy in this whole scene. Like she's just very kind of serene um also like i i think allison might have low blood pressure as well she's just like i'm totally unbothered by the fact that like you know your dad might have committed murder my mom but you know like what's yeah. a little murder between friends neighbors like honey yeah. you know like you, you'd brought over to borrow a cup of sugar or like a murder weapon it's fine I don't know a whole lot about how blood pressure works, but like 
would it be this immediate thing where you just like swap out her pills and she'd suddenly <laughs> die? What a long game. I mean, I okay, so I am actually old enough that I wondered when when I realized what episode this was, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're gonna say what blood pressure medicine Peter Hastings takes. <laughs> um but I I really don't know. Um I I would they, like the, what they say that happened is that they she took this medicine for high blood pressure and it wound up like stopping her heart. And I guess it would depend on how low Jessica's blood pressure was and how much of the medicine that she took. And I was thinking like, I was like, I wonder what I would do. Like I, I do take blood pressure medicine. And I was like, I wonder like if somebody like changed out my pills, like would I even notice uh, or would that be a good way for someone to murder me? And I was like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that this had to be like, especially because they were trying to kill Mary Drake with this. Well, so it has exactly. to be like it has to be like they crushed up a bunch of like like is it that they crushed up a bunch of pills and put it in a cup of tea and then Mary Drake evaded the murder plot by like switching the cups of tea <laughs> and Jessica's back is turned? Is that like how this actually went down? <laughs> Yeah, because con murder and an accidental murder, like, it seems like those things can't simultaneously exist. Like, it either has to be a long con of you, like, slowly poisoning somebody over a period of time and, like, slowly raising her or, like, continuing to lower her blood pressure, I guess, like, bit by bit by bit. Or it would have to be that, like, you killed her, you know, for it to have been this accidental murder thing where the wrong person got murdered, it has to be, like, it can't be a long con. Unless right. it's like, unless it's like Mary Drake also has like dangerously low blood pressure now too, but like not quite <laughs> bad enough for her to die. Like it got really close, but then like Jessica got the brunt of it at the end. I mean, I think you would like, I think you would probably just faint. Like, I think you would just probably faint yeah. if your blood pressure got too low, like before your heart was done. Maybe she like fainted and then hit her head or maybe she like fainted then got buried alive who knows who knows what really happened here also i would think that you would like there would be a progression kind of of you like not doing too well and then dying but no she was fine she was like hosting fashion shows and bopping around to police stations and doing great and then mary drake switched the cups of tea and then jessica was just out She was out. She was out. It was like the the Princess Bride scene. Yeah. Inconceivable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So Arya, well, also, let me just say, it would all make a lot more sense if it was just the rodenticide. Like, we wouldn't have all of these questions if it was just the rodenticide. I don't know why they didn't just go with that. Well, or if they could have just eliminated the rodenticide and and been like, someone poisoned her with this this medication that she was allergic to or something. <laughs> right. Someone gave her a cyanide capsule or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Aria arrives at Prezra's uh, full of nervous energy. She's sorry she didn't call first. He's delighted that she's here. Uh, Aria can't stop thinking about Shauna's family and how sad they looked at the funeral and feeling so awful about what she did. And this dude has some has a winning piece of advice for Arya. He says, you're just going to have to find a way to forgive yourself. 
Yeah, like him. He never holds himself accountable for anything. Arya, just act like a straight white man. He's straight at night. Exactly. He's not losing any sleep. He's not wearing any wacky hats. <laughs> no, he certainly is not. And also, he's like... um like in the last episode, he was like trying to make her feel really bad. So he was like moving around so gingerly. He was like moving around like, oh, I'm such an invalid. I have to like move so slowly and everything. And in this episode, he's like bopping around just <laughs> fine. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Until he isn't. And and which is all just a catalyst to try to get her to spend the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Paige McCullers is on Emily's porch again. Now <laughs> there to warn Emily that if Allison returns to school, Emily should keep her distance. Uh, that is, uh, like, really, like I said, Paige is having a lot of growth this episode. Paige is now willing to say Allie's name, like, to say it directly to episode, you know, True. to Emily. And not, also not worry that warning Emily off is going to push her and Allison closer together, uh, which I feel like is something that Paige definitely would have been worried about based on how defensive Emily generally is uh, about Allison and about her relationship with her. Um, She tells Emily that people are preparing for Allie's return and not with flowers and welcome banners that Allison hurt a lot of people, Paige included, And although she is not interested in revenge, she's also not going to out the people who feel like they need protection from Allison. Paige delivers this message and leaves. Emily calls after her, but Paige, another big change, doesn't look back or break her stride. Emily watches her go. And then, like, Emily seems to get spooked, like, out here in the yard um, after Paige walks away. Seems like she maybe feels like maybe someone is watching her uh, and she beats feet back into the house. And this is another one of those moments where it's like they keep telling themselves that A is gone, but they have this like muscle memory and this instinctive fear. And Emily uh, obviously just has this feeling of like, oh, man, what if someone is watching me? What if someone saw that happen? It could be that someone is there. It could be that Mona is there. It could be that Allison is spying on her. Mm-hmm. Um, but Emily uh, Emily gets the willies and rushes back inside. Yeah, I really like this moment for Paige. You know, there's another kind of theme in here about, like, breaking the cycle. And I really like that Paige is like, I'm not interested in continuing the cycle of hurt with Allison. I don't want to just, you know, have revenge on Allison Such a sharp contrast, by the way, to the girl who dunked Emily's head under the water back in season (laughs) one. Um, But I'm not going to sort of sell these people out because I understand their grievances. And I was one of them. uh, And I've, you know, I've been in those shoes. And so, yeah, I think this is this is great growth for Paige. And I also love, you know, kind of as you pointed out, the the idea of Emily being the one to call after Paige for a change. You know, such a such a contrast again to like. Paige saying, you know, I can't bear to see you walk away from me in shadow play. Yeah, gosh, I wonder what has changed in their relationship that is making Emily be like, I'm so baffled by Paige's behavior. I'm going to, like, talk to my friends about what it could be. And, uh, oh, and I'm going to, like, call after Paige and hope that she comes back here. Uh, What could have changed? Oh, Paige isn't actively trying 
to get back together with me. Paige is demonstrating a lack <laughs> of interest in me. Hello? Hello? Paige? What's going on? Like, that is the thing that, <laughs> that is the thing that gets Emily going. You have to act like you are not interested in her. Being available to Emily is like the thing that is just going to kill Emily's attraction dead. <laughs> Do you think this has something to do with the fact that Wayne was always leaving Emily's entire childhood? Oh my goodness. What a fascinating, what a fascinating insight. It sure could. I tend to chalk it up to Allison always running hot and cold. And so Emily kind mm-hmm. of like learning that like, that's what like love looks like. Um, it's not like stable and steady and always there. Um, but that's a great, great insight that it could be it could be that that was what was modeled with her parents because Wayne it always seems like Wayne's approval is the one that she's much more yearning for than Pam's, yeah, because Pam is always there. So it's like not special. Pam's very available to her. Pam is the page, and Wayne is the Allison. <laughs> Oh no, it's so true. Oh, <laughs> therapy, therapy for everyone. <laughs> so, over at the Rosewood Mall, which is a place that we don't typically see, uh, Hannah is trying on clothes in a gigantic dressing room. There's just like clothes everywhere and like a little couch area that has clothes piled on top of it. Uh, but we get the sense that nothing is feeling quite right for her in this moment. Yeah, I love that we get this, um, like, we see a bunch of clothes scattered around. And at first, you kind of think it's going to be Allison, because her dad said that she could get a bunch of new stuff. Right. But it's not Allison, it's Hannah. And it's so significant that it's Hannah by herself. Like, there's no Mona there shopping with her. There's no Allison there. There are no other yeah. liars. There's no boyfriend. Like, it's just Hannah herself trying to decide how she likes her eggs yeah. <laughs> yes yes indeed and and right now those eggs are not tasting particularly good <laughs> no no she has not hit upon anything yet <laughs> nope um on the phone at presra's apartment aria is suffering from a combination of white guilt and murderer's remorse <laughs> as she wants to send an anonymous donation to the church where shauna's funeral was to defray the cost of the service. Uh, Not helping is Prezra, who comes back in with takeout and a condescending uh, manner about how this isn't going to be helping. Uh, Also not helping, Arya Arya says the word anonymous like at least three times after Prezra enters the apartment. And then he's like, Arya, that's not helping. (laughs) He He might as well be like, Aria Montgomery, who lives in Rosewood, Pennsylvania, that's not helping. Um, so I, <laughs> I don't think very highly uh, of his like covertness here. Uh, he goes on a long-winded speech about forgiveness that all, of course, leads back to him uh, and how you know he would just lay awake at night knowing how much he needed Arya to forgive him for the book, uh, which is like, what a neat fucking trick. It's now all forgive me for writing a book instead of forgive me for misleading you for the entire time that we've known each other, for not telling you that I was involved with your teenage best friend who disappeared and for stalking and recording you and all of your friends without your consent for years. No, no, no. 
forgive me, forgive me. I was writing a book. Ugh. Anyway, uh, he wants her to get past all of this, plus murdering Shauna, by playing checkers. And maybe later, chess. Well, I also love how it's like, he's kind of set up this situation where for Arya to forgive herself, she must forgive him. Where yep. it's like the forgiveness, the forg- the idea of forgiveness has become like this package deal where it's like, Arya, for you to have forgiveness in your heart, for you to like be able to deal with the things that you have done, you- you're going to have to forgive me too. Like, that's just how it goes. That's just how it mm-hmm. is. And I've certainly forgiven myself. So like, let's not worry about it. We're a couple of no-name slobs, you know? <laughs> that is exactly... That is exactly what's happening here. Oh, he's terrible. Uh, well, it's also the like the idea of forgiveness, and he's acting like, well, it's you know, is it up for the church to forgive you? Is it, are they just going to forgive you because you're making a donation? Like that's not what's going to do it. Blah blah blah. blah. And uh, I remember the episode of of Buffy where like Angel is evil, but she and Angel keep. Uh, being possessed by the the spirit of like the oh, the teenager, and ironically, it's a it's a teenager and a student who were who are and a teacher who were having an affair uh, yeah. that ended uh, that ended in a murderous fashion, and then they're talking about at the end forgiveness uh, and about how angry Buffy was, and uh, Giles says like to forgive is an act of compassion. It's not done because people deserve it it's done because they need it and like however Mm -hmm. however you feel about that um Prezra Fitz neither deserves or needs Arya's forgiveness and that's really really different from the way that Arya is feeling about the Shauna situation here like whether she needs Shauna's grandmother to forgive her whether she needs somebody at the church to forgive her she needs someone to say to her you are not a terrible person. You are not a monster under the bed, even though you've done this monstrous thing. Agreed. That's a really great comparison. I love that episode of Buffy. Um, and there's also this weird thing in there about like impact versus intent too, where Prezra is like, well, your intention is bad, you know, if if you if you um, give money to Shauna's family or if you help out with the cost of the funeral, like your intention is is out of wanting forgiveness and that is bad. And so therefore you should do nothing. And it's like <laughs> you should do what I do or nothing. Exactly. And it's like maybe Aria could send some money to Shauna's family and that doesn't make it okay that she killed Shauna but like yeah maybe that would be a good thing for her to do maybe that would not not for the sake of like making her not feel bad or making Shauna's family forgive her but for the fact that like that might be a good thing to do after you kill somebody is to like help their family out in some way well and what Arya is searching for here is like an outlet like she's searching for somewhere for these emotions to go other than her watching the funeral over and over again. So even though he's a total dick about it, like Arya here is, is trying it on. Like she's trying on this idea. Like if I sent money to defray the cost of the funeral, would, would this be something that like makes me feel a different way that I'm feeling right now? Like, I I mean, there are other things that she can explore and eventually she's going to discover 
like that she can maybe talk to Jenna and like, you know, take on some of this grief that Jenna is feeling. And that's something, but like, she's trying here and he is basically ridiculing her and belittling uh, her attempts. Right. Yeah. He's, he's essentially like mansplaining the guilt process to her. Well, and saying that like the way I do this is the only way to do this, which is a very Prezra thing to say, of course. Well, it also like what they each did is very different. I mean, Prezra for all the, that we know of and our, so he doesn't really have any clue what Arya is dealing with right you know right yeah yeah so back at the dressing room Hannah is considering all of these various clothes not really liking her reflection very much uh, a salesperson comes by uh, and asks how she's doing she says nothing is quite right Uh, Then another pair of boots that are possibly A-like or possibly just a paranoia show up. Uh, Hannah's phone rings then, and it is Spencer. Spencer is very confused because she got Hannah's message about the tape recorder, but Allison didn't mention anything about the recording. Oh, Allie, you master gaslighter. Spencer (laughs) asks if this was uh, uh, Allie's idea or Hannah's. Uh, Hannah... It says that it was Allie's, but sort of in insisting on it so much kind of makes it sound like it was hers. I love how this ends up being framed as uh, a directive from Hannah. Good work here, Allison. You threaded this needle very carefully. Um, Hannah says that she is sick of being the messenger and she encourages Spencer to go yell at Allison. Uh, After she hangs up the call, Hannah, giving into her worst impulses, decides to do some shoplifting, ripping off the tag and pulling her own clothes on over the shirt that she was just trying on. Um, Much like how we don't have any language around sexual assault or rape where Allison is concerned, I find it very odd that the show does not really give us any language in these episodes around Hannah's eating disorder, because I feel like a thing that is sort of, I feel like something that we kind of know about Hannah is that much in the way that swimming is like code for lesbian sex with Paige and Emily, I sort of feel like shoplifting is code for, um, you know, body dysmorphia and disordered eating where Hannah is concerned. Um, And, Again, it's kind of this thing where it's like, I don't really wish the show was doing that because I don't think they do a great job of it. But I find it weird that that's not really even here. Oh, that's that's so interesting. I I think the shoplifting is separate from Hannah's body dysmorphia issues. And I think that there I think that my take on this particular scene, like, I agree, this is part of Hannah's identity crisis, like she's trying on all these things, nothing, like nothing fits. I think it's almost more in the sense of an identity than like physically nothing fits, although certainly Mm -hmm. that that could be what it's about. But I think that her shoplifting this is about it's, it's like, first of all, it is the destructive impulse. Like you were saying, it's her worst impulse. Mm-hmm. She's giving into a destructive impulse in the same way that later we're going to see Spencer giving into some destructive impulses. Um, so that's one thing. And also she's, she had a moment where she felt a little bit afraid that a might be outside the dressing room door. And I think that this is a test. Like if there mm-hmm. is no, if there is no a Hannah can shoplift this garment and nothing will happen. 
if A is still out there, Hannah is going to shoplift this garment and then she's going to get a message and then at least she'll know. At least she'll know one way or another what the situation is. It's a good point. That's a very good point. Made especially interesting by the fact that she would shoplift with Mona, the original A. Well, and I think that shoplifting, when we talk about what does shoplifting mean for Hannah, it is an activity that she and Mona did together, like, with great joy and vigor. And so this is, this is a moment of Hannah, like, saying to herself, like, who am I? And concluding that maybe she is partly the person who was created by Mona. Like, maybe that's mm-hmm. something that she would choose for herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that, too. I, I like all of these reads. So, I yeah, I mean, there could, it could be a lot of different things, but those were, those were some of the ones that I, I, I like this scene. This is another scene, like, yeah. where it's mostly just Hannah trying on clothes, which, like, people staring at computer screens is not, like, generally riveting. But I think that the performance here by Hannah and the different layers of what's going on is, is very successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, so speaking of self-destructive impulses, Spencer has made dinner for Andrew and is now cleaning up while angry. Uh, how incredibly not fun. Like, I don't like Andrew, but this is like a really rough day to be spending with Spencer. Like, you had to do all the hard manual labor. She turned you down cold when you brought up making out. You didn't get water. You didn't get a snack. You planted all of these flowers that are probably already dead because it's cold out in Pennsylvania at the end of November. Um, And now you're here for dinner and Spencer is cleaning up and all she wants to do is just be so mad uh, because she had this interaction with Hannah uh, that that has really irritated her. Uh, Andrew asks if she wants to talk about it. And Spencer is, like, misplacing her anger with Allie onto Hannah. And she just says, no, her friend is being an idiot. Just then, as Spencer is, like, toweling off a sharp knife, uh, she cuts her hand. And I'm just going to say, like, uh, like, I don't know what Spencer is doing exactly, but you should for sure never be holding a knife like this under any circumstances. Like... This is, like, this is wild. Like, she is literally, like, and and there was the question earlier of, like, is this something Allison did to herself? Like, Spencer is being careless enough that it definitely seems like she she may have, on some level, like, wanted to have physical pain to match the emotional pain uh, that she's in. So she cuts her hand. She's bleeding, but she swears she's fine. Uh, She's going to the conveniently located kitchen medicine cabinet. And what should she find there? but a bottle of Losartan. Uh, The Hastings soap opera effect is still in full force as the ominous music crescendos and Spencer reads the label aloud. Yes, yeah. I love that she has to read it to us. Like, Losartan? The medication that killed Jessica? Um, Prezra and Arya are grossly flirting over their card game he is starting to fade because he has a gunshot wound and is tired. And the gunshot wound is from the fact that he was saving her life. 
uh, never mind the book, never mind the stocking, never mind anything. They're just a couple of no-name slobs. Uh, this <laughs> provides a good invitation for Arya to ask to stay over. She can't face going home to an empty house because, of course, her house is empty. And he is damn delighted at this idea, even producing the shirt that she used to wear when she was over here. Uh, but as soon as she picks it up, it's like something clicks. She realizes this is a bad idea. She's fine. Thanks for the games, she calls on her way out. Uh, <laughs> good on you, Aria. Although I do think that we're meant to read this as her um, worried about getting close, much in the same way that she talked about in the Emily Alley page triangle. I would love if the last thing she ever said to him was thanks for all the games. Um, I know. That would be, that would be so perfect. That would be very like hitchhiker, like so long. Thanks for all the fish. Like, and then she just, she just leaves. That would be so great. I'd love that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. He's like too quick. That's what happens. He's way too quick and way too eager here. Yeah. Yeah. He like had that shirt like next to him on the couch and he just like whips yeah. it up. Like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. If he'd lingered a little more, she would have been into it. Yeah. Oh, so over at Allison's bedroom, uh, Allison is showing off her new bag that her dad got her to Emily. Uh, it seems like Allie is like, she's very into showing this off. She might be planning a little fashion show, but Emily is strangely not into it. Um, Allison sits down and says her dad is finally warming up to the idea of them staying in town. And Emily says that's what she wants to talk to Allison about. Maybe it would be better for her to start over somewhere else. It might not be safe here. And Allison is just like, what are you talking about? I got off that bus because you told me it was going to be okay. And Emily reassures Allison that of course she wants her here and Allison is just like full of legit upsetness and disbelief because Emily is not acting like she wants Allison to be there uh at all um as as she's like feeling all these feelings that like maybe Emily like the one person she really kind of counted on and and counted on like being her ally without Allison having to do a lot of work for it um she like Allison kind of like cuts back to business and asks if Emily got the recording from Hannah. Uh, Emily says that she did and she'll memorize it. But then she kind of comes through with some steel in her voice and says, this is the last time Allie. And then Emily gets up and leaves without looking back without Allison, like saying goodbye or dismissing her or anything. And this is a real moment of growth for Emily. Like page yeah. Paige McCullers proved that she could walk away from Emily. And if Paige can do that, then Emily can walk away from Allison uh, without, you know, without it being a big deal. And Allison, uh, at this point, like, she looks shook. Yeah. Also, Emily has a cool jacket on in this scene. Um, yeah. This is a really interesting scene um, because... Allison is really she's sort of poking and testing at the liars and like how they're going to react to her and all of this. Um, but I really like, you know, we've talked many times before about the way in which a often will like push the liars to do the thing that they actually secretly want to do, but feel like they can't do. And I like the idea that Mona now in her Mona face, not in her a face is sort of pushing this situation that's to make Allison leave and 
there's this real part of the liars that kind of want that too. You know, they, as much as having Allison back is what they've always wanted, they're kind of realizing like having Allison back makes life a lot more complicated and a lot, um, a lot more challenging. And I think that it's almost like there's this interesting kind of question of like, if we always thought that what we wanted was the, the trade of Allison for A, that we would give up A and we would take Allison. And now it's like, is it more comfortable to have A around than to have Allison around? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating question. Also, like, mad respect for the the way that Mona set this up. This is like banking a shot off of the, the barrier and another ball in a game of pool. Like, she... Yeah put Paige into motion, the Paige ball clacked against the Emily ball and sent it off on a different trajectory to then hit the Allison ball uh, about about coming back to school and kind of hitting her on a weak point here. Um, Mona is a genius and this is like so bloodless and untraceable. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. Because if uh, Mona had delivered that, if Mona had delivered that warning to Emily, Emily would have been like, "Get out of here, you shrew!" Um, but she just yeah. like drifted in Paige's ear. Paige came to Emily. Emily was—it's very well done. It is, and and what I find interesting about it too is like, I feel like Allison is kind of trying to do those same moves that Mona is doing, but it's like not quite working the way that she. that worked pretty well but like Emily is not quite bending her to her well the way that she had imagined you know like Spencer is is maybe not quite as malleable as she thought like things are not quite being manipulated the way she thought they could be also like note the way Emily like Emily is sitting further away from Allison than normal mm-hmm. Emily doesn't take off her jacket like you're talking about her cool jacket Emily's yeah. jacket is on this whole scene she's not physically touching Allison uh, yeah. like they normally are if they're in close proximity so there are a lot of like there are also just a lot of blocking cues here um, that are kind of telling us that this is this is different this is different for them Exactly. Exactly. Um, and also, like, Paige has been really honest with Emily this night or this, you know, this week. Um, and I think that, you know, as much as the whole, like, hot and cold thing is an attraction to Emily, I also think honesty is a real, is something that is attractive to Emily. Well, also, you you said this to me once about Emerson versus Paley. And you said that, like, at, at various points in the series, like, Emerson is the relationship that Emily's never had. So it could be anything mm-hmm. in her head. But Paley is the relationship, like, you know, intimately, you know all of its flaws. And I think in this situation, like, the fact that Emily knows that relationship so well is comforting. Like, Paige is a person that she can go and have pizza with and know exactly what toppings Paige is going to get on her pizza. Allison sure. is like, Allison is like, who knows what she's going to do at any moment. It could literally be anything. And while there've been times when Emily has found that really captivating right now in the situation they're in, it's extremely stress inducing. Yeah. Allison, it's like, she might just announce that like, you guys are going to take a private jet to Italy to like get authentic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or she might like 
say that you're going to make pizza and then like burn it on purpose and call the fire department to like, you know, come to the house. Like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. She's a wild card for sure. Um, so Aria is, uh, filling Spencer in on the whole Presra situation. Uh, I feel like Aria is a woman who would be on, I didn't know I was pregnant. Like she's just so <laughs> I didn't know and I didn't I'm not sure and I didn't you know um she's just she she lacks a certain degree of um awareness about various things uh Spencer tells Aria about her concern that Peter killed Jessica uh Aria must know that like things are bad with Spencer because Spencer like doesn't want to know all the horny details of her almost hookup with Fitz uh, Peter walks in just then and pours himself some scotch, then very menacingly tells Spencer that Veronica will be at a spa to calm her nerves, which very much sounds like code for he murdered her or had her institutionalized. <laughs> Peter tells her not to bother Veronica, claiming that uh, Veronica snapped at the police and it was a good thing Peter was there to smooth things over before they pressed charges. Uh, He says, you know, your mother doesn't need you bothering her with your phone calls, and this will all blow over soon. Creepy. Yeah. I have the same note that when Peter's talking about this spot, it probably means that Veronica is locked up in Radley. Um, I definitely don't believe his story of Veronica, cool as a cucumber, uh, you know, like level-headed lawyer, uh, just became so beside herself at the police being back uh, that she, you know, Peter had to talk them out of pressing charges. Like, I, that's yeah. a very questionable story. And uh, I also love that the the amount of liquor left in all of Peter, Peter Hastings' bottles, <laughs> it keeps going down, like, week to week, no matter yeah. what bottle he grabs. He's always almost <laughs> drank most of it. <laughs> that's a good it, point. It, it feels very, like, very like metaphorical for where he is and where the Hastings are just in general, the tank is empty. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. They are, they are working on fumes here. (laughs) Uh, Also Spencer, get yourself into boarding school. There are way too many murderers in your kitchen all the time. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. Things are, things are not, things are not going well at home. Uh, but I do like that Arya decided to spend the night at presumably her other lover's house uh, <laughs> after after running away from Prezra. Uh, so Allison is sitting alone in the dark, reading through the same comment thread as before. But she's focusing now on some of the comments that seem more supportive and positive. Uh, we miss you notes with pictures of her, random people standing up for her, saying they prayed for her, etc. And she looks like she's kind of weighing the balance and coming to a decision. Yeah. And I love that we like close on this shot of Allison's eyes. Like it's so, it's still so jarring to not close on like a threat from a, or like a clue or something, but I, I like it. I like it a lot. I like it too. And it's also really interesting because when I was talking about how they uh, did a lot of people staring at computers and reacting, we saw a really similar shot of Arya's eyes when she was watching Shauna's funeral. Good point. Uh, and, and she was crying. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah. More more parallels between those two. Yeah. Uh, this was, it was an episode that didn't, it, it had a lot of disparate things going on. It never felt like it really like came 
together, but there was a lot of interesting stuff happening all over town. There was, there was. Yeah, I agree. It didn't totally gel. I feel like the different threads, like it's taking us a little longer to get to certain places than we need to. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited because next week it's Miss Me Times 100. Miss Me Times 100. Oh, it's here. I'm so excited. Yeah. This episode is doing quite a bit of setup work for that. Uh, so I don't mind too much because I love the episode that is to come. What is, I mean, I can, I can guess, but like, what is the thing about Miss Me Times 100 that you are most excited to talk about? Oh, well, you know what it's going to be. You know, it's going to be, are you asleep? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and then Emerson, uh, Emerson hooking up. That is going to be, uh, that is going to be the thing I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, also the reaction to Emerson, uh, particularly from Hannah, I think is going to be fun to dig into. Uh, and of course, it's always a great PLL episode uh, when there's a giant explosion. Right, right. And isn't, is Caleb back next week? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm super excited to to watch that. And and I think I've seen this episode less than you have. So I'm I'm sure that there are fun things to be surprised by. Um, but yeah, thrown from the ride, you know, it's, it's like a little, it's like the last step on the ladder getting us up to, uh, to Miss Me Times 100. It's like an appetizer. And then next week, of course. It is. Well, do you have anything else you would like to say about this episode? No, no. I think there were, I think there were some good bits. Um, when do you think that Mona became the thing she was most afraid of? Oh, such a good question. Well, I think first let's define what is the thing that Mona is most afraid of. Oh, that's a great question. I think she used to be the most afraid of Allison. Do we think that's still what she's the most afraid of? Ooh, I think, what do you think? She, I think now she's the most afraid of losing Hannah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. Um, when did Mona become the thing she was most afraid of? Um, oh, gosh. I mean, in some ways, I think it was when she came back from Radley because it was like, I think in a lot of ways that was sort of Mona very much at, like Allison, you know, because this is what Allison will ultimately do is like return home when everybody has kind of known what happened to her. And it's like her secrets have kind of been revealed. And I think in a sense, like Mona got a taste of that when she came back from Radley. Um and she was both, you know, fear. Um, but I have to think about that more. What about you? What would you say? Oh, I think your answer. I think your answer was so great. I think that it was. It could not be improved upon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's. I think another really interesting parallel moment to that, to this whole storyline, is. Um, in season one at the uh, like dance off or whatever it is when Hannah has to dance with Lucas and she feels awful about it. And Emily is drunk and says, you know, Allison would have been really proud of you tonight. And it's like, it was, it's like, you know, transformation into Allison complete to the point that now Hannah has hurt somebody the way that Allison hurt people. And it's like now Mona is maybe hurting people the way that Allison hurt people. 
Well, yeah, and talk about transference there. Like, Mona would love to be dancing with Hannah, but she uses Lucas as this, like, like, how close do you want to get to someone to let them hurt you? You know, she uses Lucas instead as a proxy. Well, and also, it's like, you know, Hannah morphing herself further and further into Allison, Emily being in love with Allison and also drunk. It's like, how much did Emily want to dance with Hannah that night? How much was Emily feeling jealous that night? Layers, you know? layers, layers, layers. And then in the corner, Paige McCullers is just standing there vibrating with nervous <laughs> energy, hoping that a drunk Emily Fields is going to fall into her lap. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, if you have thoughts on this episode, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram, everybodyapodcast. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. Please, please tell us if you know about Kyla. Yes, yes, yes. If you have Kyla fanfic, we want to read it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, All right. Well, until Miss Me Times 100. Take care. Thank you.